0: So this morning, we're continuing our walk through the Sermon on the Mount, and today Jesus comes to some of his, his most um, well-known and beloved words. Uh, the words are Matthew chapter 7, verse 1, "'Judge not that you be not judged.'" Now, I say that these words are beloved because we live in a day and age that loves this particular verse— it's a verse that even if you're, you're not a Christian, even if you don't go to church much, you probably know and you are quick to wield as a way of defending yourself against the negative opinion of anybody else. I mean, think about it. You've heard people say it. Uh, do not judge. There's a Bible verse for that. We, we seem to believe in our day and age that Jesus uses these words to somehow outlaw having a negative opinion of any other person. Uh, in the comments section below, um, just write, uh, write the letter Y as for yes, uh, if you've ever heard somebody say, hey, you can't judge me. It's a common attitude these days. And yet, um, what I would assert to you is that to think that Jesus, with this verse, is somehow outlawing any kind of judgment of another person is not only to misunderstand Jesus' words, but potentially to abuse Jesus' words. Because what we'll discover this morning is that Exercising judgment in relationships is is an essential part of life in God's world. It's an essential part of of a beautiful and loving relationship. But exercising judgment over somebody else poorly is a quick way to harm a relationship. And that's really my first point. That judgment is an essential part of life and love in God's world. Uh, There's three times in this particular section that Jesus uses the word brother. Uh, And what he's trying to convey with that is the fact that, that Jesus wants us in our personal relationships, whether it's a personal relationship in the home, a personal relationship in the workplace, a personal relationship at church, in those relationships that really matter, he wants us and expects us to be exercising judgment around the people that we love and over the people that we love. In fact, I would go so far as to say that Jesus's point here is that you can't love well without judging the people that you love. Uh, A good parent has to judge their kids. Hey, don't play in the street. (laughs) Make a better choice. A good boss has to judge her employees. Uh, That's not the best goal for sales this quarter. Make another choice. Um, A good friend has to judge their friend. Don't wear that on a first date. That's not the best choice, choice to make. Go back in the closet. And a good God has to judge his creation. Just read through the scriptures. God has a whole lot of opinions about who we are and how we live our lives and what we should do and what we shouldn't do. And the reason a good parent judges, a reason a good boss judges, the reason a good friend judges, and the reason a good God judges is because the good parent, the good friend, the good boss, the good God loves the person that they're judging. A refusal to judge another person in your life, to have care and concern over the choices that they're making, a refusal to judge is a refusal to take seriously the call to love and serve and care for the people around you. Now you might say, but Matt, Jesus literally says, judge not. He tells us not to do it. Right there in verse 1 well, I'm going to challenge you on that. Look a little more closely. Does he really say that? Read the whole context. Uh, What I would say to you is that Jesus is not outlawing judgment of another, but but what Jesus is, is outlawing and forbidding is an arrogant and hypocritical judgment of the people around you. The kind of arrogant and hypocritical assessment of other people's actions and attitudes that can harm the relationship. An arrogant and hypocritical assessment of other people's actions that that could in turn be used against you and you wouldn't like it. That's what Jesus is talking about. Uh, The story is told about a a powerful Wall Street executive who started dating a a well-known actress. And they were out and about uh, eating fancy dinners at nice restaurants. And he decided that he loved this girl and he wanted to marry her. But before he gave her a ring, he wanted to make sure that that her past was clean and that she was safe to spend the future with. And so he hired a private detective. And he investigated her for a couple of weeks. And a couple weeks later, he came back with his report and he gave it to the executive. And he said, her reputation is spotless, except for one thing. In recent weeks, she's been seen around town in the company of a very questionable executive. Very often when it comes to judgment, we are quick to point out or worry about the problems in somebody else's life, but we spend very little time looking at our own problems and our own sins and our own struggles. And and that's a big part of what Jesus is talking about here in this famous section of Scripture. Uh, Pick up at verse 3. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye. So Jesus's point is this, that it is is crazy for you to point out a flaw in somebody else's life without first reflecting on whether or not you are struggling with the very same thing. You know that feeling of of when a a parent whose children are crazy suddenly decides to give you parenting advice? Or the person who coughs in their hand and then offers to make you a sandwich suddenly judges the way you're quarantining and dealing with COVID-19? What Jesus is saying is don't be that person. Don't have such a laughable lack of self-awareness that you go around pointing out problems in other people that you haven't addressed in your own life. But don't be mistaken. Jesus does want you to notice the issues in other people's lives, and he does want you to speak up. Look again at verse 5. He says, you hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Jesus wants you to notice and then offer to remove the issues in other people's lives. But what he's saying is this, the path to a fruitful confrontation, the path to a loving confrontation begins with personal reflection with personal confession and contemplation. Followers of Jesus, here's what I want you to know. We earn the right to speak truth to others when we first reflect upon that truth in our own lives. And then with a humble attitude, knowing our own imperfections and no longer blind to our own struggles, we approach our brother, our sister, our son, our daughter, our friend in love. I think about the last confrontation you had where you were really well-intended trying to point out some problem or some issue, but it was really poorly received. Could it be that perhaps there was this perception that you were lacking humility or that you were pointing out an issue in that other person that you were unwilling to address In yourself. Jesus's point to his followers is that that should rarely, if ever, be the case for us. The path to peaceful confrontation begins with personal reflection. Now, the question is once you've done your work and you've reflected on on your own need for forgiveness and on your own issues, and it is time to, to address someone that you love and point out some issue that you see, how do you do that? And that's an important question for us to ask because so many of us struggle with confrontation. So many people loathe confrontation and difficult conversations. I mean, have you ever met somebody who's like, man, I love, I love Tex-Mex, I love long walks on the beach, and I love confrontation." If you meet that person, run in the other direction. Keep your social distance from them because they're dangerous and crazy if you love confrontation. We we struggle with confrontation so much that when it comes down to it, most of us make the mistake of saying too little rather than too much because we want the we want the confrontation to be over with. And so we tend to fall in one of two camps. We we will just speak the truth or we will we will just speak the love. We will will lay out the truth, all the things that we see that are wrong, and all the things that need to be done to fix it, and then the conversation is over. Or, not wanting to hurt feelings, we will lay out our love and our support and our affirmation for the person, but we never really get around to saying the difficult truth. People tend to be all love or all truth. Uh, Which one do you tend toward? when it comes to confrontation? Do you tend to be the one who drops truth bombs and then runs away? Or do you tend to be the one who, who really is much, much too soft in the confrontation and really offers very little tangible truth with any teeth on it? We mentioned in the comments which one you struggle with. Is truth or is it love? Uh, the reality is that truth without love is oppressive and it can lead to abuse. And love without truth is enabling, and it can lead to atrophy in the life of the person that you care about.
1: There was a great movie that came out a
0: couple of years ago called Whiplash, and it's about this abusive band director named Terrence Fletcher, and he was an all-truth kind of guy. Uh, One of the famous quotes in the movie is this. He says, there are no two words in the English language more harmful than good job. For him, exercising judgment over his students meant one thing. It meant screaming the truth about what he saw was wrong. Now contrast that with how Paul in the New Testament talks about how life change happens among God's people. This is Paul speaking in the book of Ephesians chapter 4. He says, Speaking the truth in love, We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. In other words, we mature into the image and likeness of Christ because among us as people, there is truth spoken in love. Truly helpful judgment issued from you to another person that you care about is truth and love. Another way to phrase it is this. There there are two words that you speak to the person that you love. You speak not only a word of demand, but you speak a word of deliverance. You speak both words of demand and words of deliverance. A word of demand is here's what's wrong and here's what needs to happen in order to fix it. A word of deliverance is, here's how much I love you, here's how much I care about you, here's how much I'm willing to forgive you, and here's how I'm going to help you. Truly life-changing judgment exercised over somebody else that you care about has both words of demand and words of deliverance. And again, this is implied in Jesus' teaching about the speck in the eye because he says two things should happen. First, you should deal with the specks in your own eye, but then after you deal with your own issues and you make sure that you're approaching your son, your daughter, your spouse with an attitude of humility, not blind to your own issues, when you approach them, you not only notice the speck in their eye, hey, there's there's something in your eye, but then he implies that you are there helping to reach in and grab it and get it. It's not just demand. There's a problem, fix it. But deliverance, I love you. Let me help you. And that, that is transformative judgment exercised over someone that you love. A word of demand and a word of deliverance. And again, we we all have one that tends to be dominant. Some of us tend to be more demand-oriented when we confront somebody else. Many of us tend to be deliverance-oriented when we confront somebody else. That's what I struggle with. If I have to confront you, chances are I'm going to be soft on demand, soft on truth, and big on love. And you might walk away going, Man, I know Matt loves me, but I'm not quite sure what he thought the problem was. But truly transformative judgment holds both of those in balance. Jesus wants his church to be people who are are so deeply convicted about what's right and what's wrong and how much they love somebody else that they will speak up and say, hey, this isn't right, this is broken, this is bad, but also so deeply compassionate that they will say with equal force and equal measure, here's how much I love you and I am willing to stick around and help. And when we do that, When we do that, we are mimicking the very same love that God gives to us. You see, we don't like to talk about it, but God is a God of judgment. Like I said at the beginning, good parents judge, good friends judge, good bosses judge, and a good God judges too. He cares deeply about the life that you live and the choices that you make, and he has a passionate, holy opinion about who you are. And he has a deep longing for you to be the best possible version of yourself. And when you fail and when you fall short, it breaks his holy heart. But as God judges you, you need not be afraid. So long as you are in Jesus Christ. Those who are in Jesus Christ need not fear need not fear the judgment of God. I mean, God's judgment is the one that matters the most, (laughs) but we need not fear it. Uh, Do you remember sports? Yeah, sports used to be a thing before all this COVID-19. I miss miss sports quite a bit. Uh, But there was a story told from long ago in uh, the history of sports about the famous umpire, Babe Pinelli. One time he he called out the, the Hall of Fame home run King Babe Ruth on strikes during a game. And it was a questionable third strike call. And immediately, all the people in attendance in the stadium, they started to boo the umpire. And Babe Ruth turned to the umpire, Babe Pinelli, and he said, there are 40,000 people in this stadium who know you were wrong. And immediately, all the players and and the managers of both sides kind of braced themselves for Babe Ruth's ejection from the game, because you don't argue balls and strikes. But the umpire very calmly looked at Babe Ruth and said, that may be so. But my opinion is the only one that matters on this field. And the same is true with God. His opinion of you, his judgment of you, is the only one that really matters in the end. But the good news is that you don't have to fear it because of Jesus Christ. Now, don't get me wrong. When God looks at you, he sees you with holy eyes. And he sees everything in you that falls short of his holy standard He sees all your secrets, all your lies, all your mistakes, all the stuff you're hiding from everybody else, all the stuff you should have done that you didn't do, all the stuff you did do that you shouldn't have done. He sees all of it, and he calls it out with boldness and ferocity, and he says, that's garbage, that's bad, that's junk, that needs to stop, this needs to end. He calls all of it out. He makes demand of you and of me. Read the scriptures. He makes fierce demands of us. But then he also looks over at his son, Jesus Christ, He looks at his son, Jesus Christ, who has come into this world and lived perfectly, died sacrificially, risen from your grave, and who has given to you his perfection and his holiness and his obedience to wear as your own through your belief and your baptism. He looks at his son and all that he's done for you and given for you, and he speaks another word to you. He speaks a word of deliverance. He speaks a word that says, but I love you, and I forgive you, and I'm gonna free you from all of this. God speaks a word of both demand and and deliverance to you through Jesus Christ. And, and this is the point Jesus is trying to make. If, if that's the gift that you've received, that's the kind of person he wants us to be. People who walk around caring enough to have an opinion about the lives that other people around us are living, but not just speaking a word of demand, but speaking words of truth and love, of demand and and deliverance of conviction and liberation, because that's what God the Father through Jesus Christ does for you and does for me. So then the question is why is this so important? Why does Jesus care whether or not his people are walking around like hypocritical, judgmental jerks? Well, I think there's two reasons. The first reason is because the credibility of his mission depends on this. If Christians walk around and, and we are quick to wag our finger at other people but never ever pointed at ourselves, the rest of the world is going to look at us and say, why would I want to be a part of that? Likewise, if if we refuse to ever speak truth and we walk around enabling sin and uncaring about injustice, the rest of the world is going to look at us and say, well, what good is that? Our, our willingness to speak truth and love upholds our witness as credible and worthwhile to a watching and unbelieving world. But also Jesus is passionate about this because He wants his community of people, of all people, to be a truly transformative community. He wants his church, he wants your kitchen table where conversations take place, he wants the car rides that you're in with your kids, the workplace that you're a part of, he wants the Zoom calls that you're taking part in to be truly transformative interactions. He wants them to be places because his people are there where there is truth spoken boldly but acceptance offered unconditionally. And I don't know if you've noticed, but those two things held together is incredibly rare in our world. We live in a world where we are quick to cancel people and never, ever forgive them. Not so with Jesus' community. We are to be a people that care enough to speak a bold word of truth and demand, but who also say, I'm not going anywhere. I love you and I forgive you and I will help you because that's where transformation takes place place and when you have the opportunity to offer that to somebody cherish it take it seriously because Jesus says that it is a divine gift look at how he ends this teaching here in in verse six Jesus says, do not give dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Now these words have long been misunderstood and misinterpreted, but here's what Jesus is saying. What are the holy things given to dogs? What are the pearls thrown to pigs? He's talking about the gift of a relationship where someone is willing to speak truth to you and love to you. He's saying, don't waste that. That is divine. That is holy. That is a glimpse of heaven. It's a picture of how God loves you. Don't waste a relationship by refusing to speak up. Don't ruin a relationship by never speaking the truth. Care enough to say a word. Be loving enough to forgive and to help out. Notice the speck. Speak up, but then stick around to pull it out. That's what he's saying. Don't throw that gift away. Don't throw that gift away because it is an incredible gift. Now, when you get that opportunity to exercise judgment in the life of somebody you love, be it your child, your spouse, your coworker, your friend, whoever it is, I want you to do two things. Number one, first things first, I want you to pray. Pray that the Lord would show you your own sins and your own struggles so that you, you do not walk into that conversation arrogant, proud, or with blind spots about your own issues. And then secondly, reposition your heart. Check your heart and make sure that you have an attitude of empathy. I, I like these words from F.B. Meyer. He's a famous Baptist preacher from long ago. He, he gives us three things to keep in mind when it's, when it's time for us to speak truth to somebody else. The three things are these. He says, first, remember that you do not know how hard that person has tried to avoid the thing you're calling out. Second, you do not know the power of the forces that are at work on him or her. And third, you do not know what you would have done in the same circumstance. Be humble, but be bold. This teaching is so important right now. It's important because this crisis that we're in has us itching to judge. It has us itching to judge the people around us and and the choices they're making as they they quarantine and whether or not your sister-in-law or your workplace or your church is doing it the right way or the wrong way. It also has us itching to judge because we're spending a lot of time in close proximity with our spouse, with our kids, and it's getting annoying and it's getting old. And we're noticing things about them that maybe we haven't ever noticed before. And we're seeing things that we would love to call out. And the temptation is to, uh, is to call out all the issues that we see. Uh, the other day, my, my daughter looked at me and she said, Why are you breathing so weird? And I'm like, I'm just, I'm just breathing. How am I breathing weird? And she said, You're doing it wrong. I said, Well, what do you want me to do? And she's like, Don't breathe like that. So here's how bad it is at my house I can't even breathe anymore. We are itching to judge. And and understand, judgment is a good thing, but it has to be done in love. Uh, The story is told of a young couple that moved into a brand new house in a lovely neighborhood. They sat down for their first breakfast, their first morning in their house, and the wife was sitting at the table eating her breakfast. The husband was standing at the kitchen sink looking out the window across the yard at their neighbor. And he took note that their neighbor's house was was dingy and dirty, and, and even the the laundry that was out on the line seemed dingy and dirty like it hadn't even been washed. And he said to his wife, everything over there is dirty. It looks as if they didn't even clean anything. And the wife just kind of nodded. And then the next day he made note of it again, and the next day he made note of it again. And this went on for about a month until finally he, he was standing at the kitchen table and he took note of what was happening next door and he said, wow, things are clean. Looks like they finally cleaned everything up. I wonder what happened. And his wife finally spoke up and she said, Well, yesterday I washed our windows. We are quick to judge others, but let us first wash our own windows and deal with our own sins and our own struggles. Look, exercising judgment in relationships is a necessary part of loving others. But let us first examine ourselves and then let's do so with truth and with love. And in the moment where you, you fail at that demand, know, know that you are delivered. You are forgiven. Amen.